The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Hey, it's 205 on the 630 Chad Afternoon News. Thanks for joining us on this uh, Monday edition. It's Jalen Nye and Andrew Gross. It is. Hope you had a good weekend, everybody. I know I did. It sounded like you did as well. A reunion yep. with your old, uh, not your old, your former co-workers. Former co-workers, but uh, yeah, we can did get Did Marissa marry a murderer? Turns out it was actually arson. This time, it's personal. I need to know who I married. All new Bull, tonight at 8 on Global. Engaging conversation with Jalen Nye and Andrew. All righty. Gosh, love little bugs in the board, but there you go. Anyways, That's our new Jaylen opening. I hope everybody likes it. <laughs> Something new we're trying. Uh, thanks for joining us uh, today. Uh, yeah, we can. We both had uh, busy weekends, but of course, what's making news uh, is what happened over the weekends. Just uh, over the weekend, just a horrific scene down in Pittsburgh. Eleven people dead after a gunman opened fire inside Pittsburgh's Tree of Life Congregation Synagogue on Saturday. The suspected gunman Robert Bowers has been charged with 29 federal accounts, including violence and firearms offenses, as well as violations of civil right laws. Authorities say he made statements about genocide and killing Jewish people. Yeah, as you just mentioned, facing 11 state counts of criminal homicide, 6 counts of aggravated assault, 13 counts of ethnic intimidation, and that 29-count federal criminal complaint that includes obstructing the free exercise of religious beliefs, resulting in a death of federal hate crime. A prosecutor plan to seek the death penalty. Global National, National Washington correspondent uh, Reggie Ciccini joins us now. Hey, Reggie. Hi, Reggie. Can you hear us? All right. Maybe we'll see if we can find and get Reggie on the phone. Do you know, this is the uh, time in which I kind of admire, uh, not admire, I, I'm envious of our listeners. Uh, when I saw this story break over the weekend, um, you know, you have no choice but in talk radio to have to deal with a story like this and to, you know, get to the bottom of it and talk about it and take opinion on it. And I'm envious of our listeners who, when things get too tough and there's too many bad stories like this out there, because you know we'll have mm -hmm. another of these, that they have the opportunity to switch over and listen to music. I'm not mm -hmm. recommending it, you mm -hmm. know. But I, you know, I spent the weekend reading about this and uh, following it, of course, on social media as well. And, you know, again, just... Uh, the only, and this is not a silver lining to this at all, but the only positive, if there is one, is I learned, uh, I learned that this was something that has, I learned something. I learned over the weekend that uh, anti-Semitism is, is growing in Canada and the United States, which I didn't know before, and knowledge is key with it comes to something like this. Yeah, you know what? Uh, the Anti-Defamation League in the U.S. does uh, annual audits on the rise of anti-Semitism. They say last year was the worst year since they began taking um, since they began taking surveys in 1979. There was a 57% increase in anti-Semitic incidents. That's the largest single-year increase on record. Um, we do have Reggie now. Let's try. Okay, let's try Reggie now. Uh, Reggie Cicchini, who is our Washington, D.C. correspondent. Hi, Reggie. 
Good afternoon. Thanks. Uh, thanks for uh, giving us a shout. We appreciate it this afternoon. Uh, can Let's start with um, the details about the gunman. He's been released from hospital, made his first court appearance. What can you tell us about this push for the death penalty? Well, that's actually coming from the uh, from the uh, uh, from an attorney in the uh, in the state. It's actually uh, an, an interesting thing here because uh, the death penalty has only been back in play in Pennsylvania now for uh, about uh, the last twenty five ish years, and they've only actually put three people to death in Pennsylvania since uh, things were reenacted back in nineteen seventy six. So, if this actually moves forward in Pennsylvania, does put this man to if he's found uh, to be guilty, uh, this would only be the fourth person uh, since nineteen seventy to be put to death. So that's what the uh, that's what the state attorney is actually going after right now. He's got to get that uh, okay from the attorney general Jeff Sessions. Uh, you know, it's interesting that it's uh, there's several references, of course, and some of the criminal charges relate to it being a hate crime. And I know in Canada, and I, I you know I don't know how familiar you are with the two different laws governing hate crime. It, it seems like in Canada, hate crime or uh, charges of terrorism are hard to prove, and police often don't lay that charge, or the crown doesn't lay that charge because it's easier to just simply charge them with a gun offense or a, an assault or a murder. Are the, is, it, is hate crime handled differently in the United States? Well, I mean, hate crimes in the United States are, are uh, it's, it's something that's uh, prosecuted when, uh, you know, when it's deemed necessary to be done so. I mean, you can think back to something like, uh, you know, when Matthew Shepard was, was, uh, was mm-hmm. killed, you know, two decades ago, that was considered a hate crime. It's, uh, it's up to uh, the, the prosecutors that are taking control of the situation right now. This is likely in being investigated as a, as a hate crime, as uh, are most of these uh, kind of big shootings that happen, whether it's in a church or a religious institution or something like that. That's how the state kind of moves forward with it. Reggie, what are you learning about the victims of the shooting? Um, we, you know, we, we're, we're hearing lots about the suspect in this case, but what about the victims? Well, so these victims were all inside a house of worship that they would normally gather to, uh, you know, on a weekly basis. These were people who nobody ever had any problems with. You know, we're hearing stories about two brothers who suffered from uh, from uh, disabilities who were, you know, a large part of the community. People were constantly liking to be around them. They enjoyed being a part of that uh, that church. And all of these people gathering around literally just to sit there and, and celebrate the religion that they, that they all grew up with and that was a big part of their life. And then this man, uh, you know, walked in. He already had uh, made comments on social media saying that he had you know issues with with uh, with Jewish people and with the religion and everything and that's why he walked in there so these people were sitting around as they normally would on a Saturday and you know to have to have 10 people gunned down plus uh, plus you know uh, uh, police officers gunned down as well that's why there's such a, a big outcry and such a, a strong uh, sound of emotion that's being given not only across the country but across the world right mm-hmm. now do we have any updates on the uh, on the officers who were shot uh, so we know that all officers are in stable condition. We haven't had any updates as to whether or not all of them are out of hospital, but all of them are expected to survive. Okay. All right, so here we go again. Uh, play the record. Gun control is going to be front and center and talked about uh, as it always is after one of these shootings. Do we have any reason to believe that the conversation will be any different this time? I mean, it's it's one of those conversations and questions that are asked after each time an incident like this happens. We all thought that after maybe Parkland, <laughs> things would change and gun laws would become, you know, a more... Uh, uh 
uh, a louder conversation, especially heading into a year where an election is going to be taking place. But what happens is people sit there on one side and say, now's not the time to talk about policy. Now's not the time to talk about legislation. We have to talk about the victims and offer our thoughts and prayers. Well, the other side will say, now is the time to talk about policy because these things keep happening and we can do thoughts and prayers all we want, but it doesn't actually lead to any way of stopping this from happening. That's the conversation that we're running into right now. And until the next time one of these incidents happens again, it's the conversation that will again kickstart. What about these uh, these midterm elections going to have any impact there, do you think? Well, I mean, there's a possibility about it just because we're only eight days away. But you have to remember, for the most part, mm-hmm. these people who are going out to vote in this election, people have had their minds made up for months and months, if not, you know, from the moment that Donald Trump was elected, how they were going to be voting in this midterm. I think that we might see a small push on both sides to have their people come out and vote uh, on November 6th. Democrats will say now's the time to, you know, bring our voters out to the polls to try and make some kind of big changes when it comes to, uh, you know, how Washington's going to be governed over the next two years. Republicans, on the other hand, will say, look, the Democrats are trying to rally this right now. They're trying to make this gun situation another political situation when we should be grieving the loss and we should be kind of moving forward, uh, you know, not putting guns front and center. So we will see this potentially make its way into the election. But again, people have had their minds made up for months. Well, Reggie, what do you think? Uh, just your opinion. But, you know, those are big picture. Uh, gun control, election results are big picture. What about small picture? Because I understand that this individual, for example, made a threat on social media and that it wasn't seen or taken seriously or and I don't I don't recall honestly if it was Twitter or Facebook or where it was do you think there's some small picture things to be done here like social media platforms being more diligent with what's being posted well, we're seeing things like that. You know, the, 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 the social media site he used was called Gab.com. It's not really a well-known place, but for the people who do use it, they use it because it's known for not having any restrictions. It doesn't really police what people are putting out there. They say it's, you know, an, uh, an opportunity for kind of people to put their emotions and put, put whatever they'd like to say out there without anybody kind of getting in the way of what they want to say. Uh, that site has now been taken down because the, uh, the host for it actually said, well, we're not going to host you right now. People like Twitter, things like Facebook, they're actually making a concerned effort right now to go out to monitor what's being said out there, uh, you know, to make sure that, you know, if threats are, are being made, that they're taking action on it, that they're trying to delete accounts, that they're contacting authorities. So short-term picture right now, the big Silicon Valley social media outlets, they're actually doing what they can to try to stop these events from going forward. Richard Cicchini joining us this afternoon, Washington, uh, D.C. correspondent for Global National. Reggie, thanks for taking the time this afternoon. We'll look forward to your coverage this evening. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks to Reggie Cicchini for joining us. So, uh, as we had mentioned just briefly uh, before that interview, the Anti-Defamation League in uh, in the U.S. does uh, annual audits on the rise of anti-Semitism and says for the last year, or says last year, in fact, was the worst year since they began taking surveys in 1979. There was a 57%, 57% increase in anti-Semitic incidents in uh, the calendar year 2017, and that is the largest largest single-year increase on record. Now, Dr. Deborah Lipstad is a professor of modern Jewish history and Holocaust studies, TAM Institute for Jewish Studies, and the Department of Religion at uh, Emory College. She joined Ryan Jesperson uh, this morning and explained the roots of anti-Semitism and how it has passed into modern society. 
Well, it's been called the longest hatred and with good reason. I wouldn't go back 5,000 years, but I would go back a little over 2,000 years to the time of uh, the death of Jesus and the way that death has been depicted and used by some, and I emphasize some, Christian leaders over millennia. The way it's told, of course, everybody in the story is Jewish. The Jews are Jewish. Jesus is a Jew, except for the Romans who do the killing. Um, and the way the story has often been taught is that the Jews, and I put quotation marks around the, um, demanded that Jesus be killed because he wanted to chase the money changers out of the temple, uh, out of the temple. Um, and the, what has been used by that story, and, and the way that story has been built upon, is that the Jews were, were strong enough and wily enough to convince the Romans who controlled the area and were the strongest, most powerful force in the world at the time, to kill this innocent being, divine being, who could have brought such love and peace to the world for their financial gain, and they didn't care what the ramifications were. Uh, that story, uh, the way I'm telling that story is the way the anti-Semites and people who wanted to attack Jews have told the story over millennia. And then, of course, it, tra it, trans it transmigrated outside of religious circles so that socialists, communists picked up on it, um, uh, you know, in so-called enlightened folks picked up on it. But it, that was the template for so much of what is anti-Semitism. And anti-Semitism, I recently described uh, to an American newspaper, is like, uh, and I, it's an awful example, but it, it fits. It's like herpes. It's like the, the infect, a herpes infection. Sometimes it lies dormant, but at times of stress, when bad things are happening, when there's economic stress, when there's social stress, and you need someone to blame, it pops right up. And Dr. Lipstadt believes politics and political leadership in the United States is helping to fuel anti-Semitism. Simply put, yes. I'm not saying that the political leaders, Kevin McCarthy or any of the other uh, Senate and House leaders or even the president, are anti-Semites. I have no reason to think that. In fact, the president probably is not an anti-Semite. But what they have been doing is exactly, to use your words, fueling uh, hatred. They've been fueling hatred by tweets such as that. Uh, the, the final ad of the Trump campaign uh, talked about those who control Wall Street and four figures, it was Trump's voice in the background, four figures appeared on the screen. First, uh, then presidential candidate Clinton, Hillary Clinton, and after that, uh, Janet Yellen. Uh, George, um, Jan Yellen, uh, Blank, Lloyd Blankfein, who is Jewish, and I'm blocking right now on the third, it may have been George Soros, and all Jews. And of course, if you say these Jews are controlling it, but people who are predisposed to anti-Semitism, the extremists see it as Jews, the, the right, the white nationalists, the white supremacists, the white, the people who believe America should be only a white Christian country heard this and they tweeted and they said, you know, this is it. They are attacking the Jews. They are seeing the Jews, etc. Some call it a dog whistle, you know, a whistle that those who need to hear what is being said hear and, and hear it and learn from it. And then when you take that group and you go to the fringes,
leaders of that group, you will find extremists who will act on it. So no one is responsible uh, in the immediate way for what happened in Pittsburgh, other than the man who picked up an AK-47 and loads of guns and stuck them in his belt and the AK-47 in his hand and went into the synagogue and gunned down uh, elderly Jews who are the earliest to come to synagogue and almost everywhere. Um, he's ultimately the one responsible. But he wouldn't have done that without feeling that it was okay, without being inspired to do it. You have some people who throw firebombs, and then you have people who throw the words that inspire the people to throw firebombs. And I think that's what we're seeing in the United States. It's not to say there isn't anti-Semitism in other places, there isn't racism in other places, uh, but that's what we saw this past weekend in the United States. Uh, just recently, a former federal Green Party candidate was convicted in Germany of inciting hatred by publishing videos that denied the Holocaust. Now, Monica Schaefer of Jasper, Alberta, was in Germany visiting family when she was arrested. She's now been sentenced to 10 months in jail. Dr. Lipstad says she remains hopeful that there are positive steps being taken to make sure people are properly educated about tragedies like the Holocaust. I, you know, sometimes they say, I like to say that a, a Jewish optimist is someone who thinks things can't get any worse. I'm trying to be an optimistic person who really thinks things can get better. The only tool I have in my toolkit is education. Um, education showing young people, and not young people, and not only young people, education is for everyone, that things start with words, and then they go a step further, and then they go a step further. And it's not to say that every bad word will, if so facto, end up in a genocide. Not at all. But a bad word can end up in beating someone up, in discriminating against someone. It doesn't start with genocide. It doesn't start with gas chambers. It doesn't start with mass shootings. It starts with words. Words said one to the other. So next time, you in the United States, we're getting ready soon for Thanksgiving. Families gather. If you're a curmudgeon uncle or your young cousin sits around at the table and makes a racist or a homophobic or an Islamophobic or an anti-Semitic crack, don't just, you know, sort of shrug it off and say, oh, that's uncle whatever, and he always says those things. He's sort of a family embarrassment. Challenge him. Show the mistakes of what he's saying. Not to change his mind. It may be too late to change his mind, but for the sake of everyone else, especially the young people sitting at the table. And that's really good advice uh, from Dr. Deborah Lipstadt, who's a professor of modern Jewish history and Holocaust studies, TAM Institute for Jewish Studies in the Department of Religion at Emory College. But you know, Andrew, sometimes... It's hard to actually take that stand and say to someone, hey, that's racist, that's homophobic. You shouldn't say that. You know you what? You shouldn't say that. You shouldn't do that. It, I had to do it this weekend. It, it is hard. To a friend. I know. But you know what? As a comedian, I can tell you that oh. for years upon years, people would come up and, mm -hmm. hey, I got a joke for you. And they would tell a racist or hateful joke. And honestly, I would just not laugh. Mm -hmm. uh, but in more recent years, I would say, ah, that's not cool. I would yeah. just cut them off, right? But I don't know just a regular person and a friend or an uncle or an aunt, you know, you don't want to have a problem at the dinner table, but you, but complacency is, well, is evil. Like you, complacency is agreement. And that, and that was it. And, you know, so this weekend someone said to me, and I, I won't say the word on air, um, but you shouldn't be playing that kind of oh, leaping music. Right, right, right. And I looked at her 
at this person. I said, I'm pretty sure you can't say that anymore. Mm-hmm. And the person was like, what do you mean I can't say it? I say it all the time. I said, no, you can't say that word anymore. It's racist. You can't. And she's like, well, I've been saying it forever. And I said, well, you, you probably should stop. Yeah. And you know, the other thing, Jane, I've seen this over the years, um, when somebody says something racist in a group yeah. and a member of that particular minority is in the group, a lot of people will say nothing because they wait for that, that individual, no. right? But you really need to stand up and speak and show your support, right? It's difficult. I imagine even more difficult for that member of the minority to sit there and feel like they are alone. Uh, we'll take a break here for the 2.30 news. On the other side, uh, we'll talk with Stephen Shafir, the president of the Jewish Federation of Edmonton. The 6.30 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 6.30 Chad.